Church family. I hope you've been enjoying the freedoms of level two. And judging by the um, traffic in Bethlehem and in Taronga, y'all are making the most of it. If you've been tracking with us, we are continuing in our series, um, His Kingdom, where we've been looking at what Jesus had to say about the kingdom of God and what it's like. Now, this morning, we will be looking at a parable in Matthew 20. Um, but I think to fully understand this parable, we need to back up to the previous chapter for context of when and why this parable was told. And in Matthew 19, we see Jesus talk to a, what who Luke calls a rich young ruler, a young man who had much wealth, was a follower of God, and obedient to the law. And he goes to Jesus and he asks, what else do I need to do to get eternal life? And Jesus says, go and sell all that you have, sell everything, <laughs> give your money to the poor, and then come follow me. And this young man walks away sad, declining the invitation to follow Jesus because it was too big of an ask. He had too much to give. <laughs> he couldn't detach his pursuit of God from the things of this world. And in light of this man, young man walking away, Peter pipes up and asks Jesus a question. And I love it because you can always count on Peter um, to say exactly what he's thinking because he has like no filter. And he says, we've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? You see, and this is what we have to understand about the, the mindset of the disciples. They had signed on to follow Jesus because they thought that he was going to be setting up a kingdom. And a kingdom takes investment and a kingdom takes capital. And Peter's thinking that Jesus is a great guy to get on the team with. Jesus then um, gives the disciples some reassuring words about sitting on thrones and judging the 12 tribes of Israel and that he will take care of families that have left everything to follow him, that they will inherit eternal life, which is amazing. But at the end of this chapter, Jesus says this interesting statement and what the message calls um, the great reversal. And he says, but many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. We will see him repeat that sentence again. But what we see here is that Jesus is issuing a warning to the disciples. Because we could read that last sentence and think that Jesus is talking about the rich young man who seems first in society's eyes um, and will end up last. And the disciples who are just fishermen and tax collectors and zealots will be first um, in my kingdom. We could read it like that, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. We know that because of the parable we're about to read in Matthew 20. You see, Jesus is trying to correct a wrong way of thinking about the kingdom of God and how it works. He's trying to get his disciples to understand what it means and what it looks like to be his follower in his kingdom. This message is for all of us. So let's read in Matthew 20, starting in verse one. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. And about nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. And he went out again about noon and again about three in the afternoon and he did the same thing. And about five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. And he asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. And he said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. 
Now let's stop there for a moment. You see, this story starts by letting us know that it's the harvest. So the owner needs some seasonal workers that he can hire to go out for the day to harvest grapes in his vineyard. And the workers that were unemployed and needed a job and available for hire, they go out to the marketplace in hopes that someone (laughs) will hire them for the day. Now, living in the Bay of Plenty, we get this. We live, I used to live in Tepuki, and we would often see seasonal workers waiting to be picked up and to go to work on kiwifruit orchards. But what's so interesting and considered unusual in that culture was that the owner himself goes looking for the workers. He doesn't send a foreman or a manager or a steward. He goes himself to the marketplace to look for workers to work in his vineyard. So the owner goes to the marketplace at 6 a.m. and he hires some workers and it says that he agrees to pay them a denarius for the day. Now, a denarius was the average daily wage of a Roman soldier. So it was actually a little bit more um, than what a hired worker would usually make. The Jewish workday was 12 hours from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And it was divided into three hour increments, six to nine, nine to 12, 12 to three, and three to six. And in the story, we see that the owner keeps returning back to the marketplace to hire workers for four more shifts. These men are hanging out in the marketplace. They're not lazy. They want work. It's just that no one's hired them. And we know that the 6 a.m. crew are going to get paid a denarius. And we have the 9 a.m. crew being told that they will be paid what is right at the end of the day. And then the owner brings in more workers again at noon, at 3 p.m., and then again at 5 p.m. 5 p.m., the 11th hour in this 12-hour day, there's one hour left of work and the owner hires them anyway. And Jesus is such a masterful storyteller. And here's where the story builds to a climax. And it says in verse 8, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. And the workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. And so when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. These who were hired last only worked one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. Okay, (laughs) let's put ourselves in the shoes of these guys who have been working all day. They've been up since 6 a.m. working on this vineyard and they're probably caked in their own sweat and dust, their feet hurt, and they've been working in the scorching heat and they're just ready to get paid and go home. But it's the end of the day And they stand in line to get paid, only to be told that they need to shuffle back to the back of the line. It's the 5 p.m. crew who only worked one hour who are going to get paid first. You don't even get priority standing in the line. I think you guys can relate to this. During the lockdown, many of you understand about standing in lines, and Brittany kind of alluded to it last week. But imagine, like my husband, standing in line at Countdown, and you've arrived early um, to be towards the front of the line. It's hot, your feet hurt because you've been waiting in line for what seems like hours. And then you notice a group of people saunter up and cut in line in front of you. The doors open um, and they're let in before you. 
And because they're like the hundredth customer, they all get free um, countdown vouchers. And then the sliding door closes and you are left there waiting in the hot sun. How you feeling now? Now these 6 a.m. workers get in the back of the line when they realize that the crew that had started at 5 p.m. and only worked one hour get paid a denarius for a full day's wage. And so you start doing the math. If they got a whole denarius for working just one hour and I work 12, cha-ching, show me the money. Um, maybe I'm going to get 12 denarii, equivalent to a half month's worth of pay. Heck, maybe I'll even get a bonus for showing up early or a performance bonus for harvesting way more grapes in the lake crew. And your imagination starts to run wild with what you're going to do with your 12 denarii. And as you approach the foreman, your brain is spinning with anticipation and you hold out both your hands um, so you can hold your payment. And the foreman drops one denarius into your hand. But then you look around at the other guys who also work 12 hours, and they too only have one denarius. And then you kind of give the evil eye and you start comparing and you start grumbling and complaining and murmuring, hey, this isn't right. We worked harder than everybody else in the scorching heat. We gathered more grapes than everyone else. This isn't fair. And then the owner looks at you. And in verse 13, he says, but he answered one of them and he said, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Let me say that again. Or are you envious because I am generous? Or another translation says, should you be angry because I am kind? So the last will be first and the first will be last. You see, there was grumbling and complaining over what they thought was fair and just. But the problem wasn't a lack of justice. They were paid exactly what the owner said they would be paid. Their problem was their sense of entitlement, of comparing and resenting what the others had received the same as them. And one commentary said, the charge of unfairness wasn't grounded in a love for justice, but in a selfish assumption that the extra pay they wanted was the pay they deserved. You see, these workers thought they deserved more. And the owner of the vineyard did not shortchange um, the, the workers for the day. He paid them exactly what he promised them. But he wanted to give out of the generosity of his heart to those who hadn't worked as long. See, the owner wasn't fair. He was generous, pouring out more than what was expected. And if you're anything like me, I think we can have a tendency to fall into a trap where we think that we are owed something, that we deserve more. You see, this story really isn't about the workers and what they did and what they were given. The story is about the owner and who he was and what he did and what he gave. This story is about grace, the grace of God. It isn't, it's about the owner giving something that isn't expected and isn't deserved. And I think we could miss the beauty of grace because we've grown up with this whole idea of a merit system. Like when we were little and we did something right, we would get um, a gold star. Or if you were good all year, Santa would bring you gifts. 
Or if you get enough A's on your report card, you would get some pocket money. Or you work really hard at your job and you get a promotion or a pay raise. You see, we base our lives on a merit system. And I think that was at the heart of Peter's question. We've left everything to follow you. What do we get out of this? And what's fascinating to me about this story is that Peter asks that question, what do we get? And Jesus tells this parable about the workers in the vineyard. And four verses later in this chapter, four verses later, James and John come to Jesus with their mom in tow, wanting to know if they can sit on either side of Jesus in his kingdom. You see, the disciples don't get it. This mother didn't get it. They somehow thought that Jesus owed them something. And we can do the same thing. We too can think that Jesus owes us something. And I think we try to hold God in our debt. And here's how that can look. We can go to God and say, God, I tithe. So just, can you just help me out a little bit? A raise would be nice. God, I've done what you've asked me to do. I've been obedient, so can you just throw me a bone? God, I've remained pure. So why haven't you brought me a wife or a husband? Or if you're a student, God, I know I haven't studied for that test, but I've been hanging out with my mates. I've been witnessing instead of studying, so can you come through for me? Or you've worked really, really hard doing the Lord's work, and you get blindsided by a serious health issue or a major financial scare. And it's these moments that we can feel like God is unfair. I've done this for you, God. I've sacrificed things. I've played by the rules. When are you going to give me my due? You see, we can feel like God owes us. We can fail to realize, though, that we've already been told what our due is. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. You see, our sins racked up a debt that we could never repay. Death is what we deserve. And this whole idea of living life based on a merit system and works is not the good news of Jesus Christ. In fact, it's terrible news. The good news is that Jesus paid our debt for us, that Jesus already has given us everything and doesn't owe us anything because he's given all. When we were most undeserving, God gave us extravagantly and unexpectedly and generously. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. Romans 5.8 says, and yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And we also see in the story that grace rewards us generously. You see, we could tend to look at this parable through the eyes of the laborers who started at 6 a.m. and worked the longest and, get, and got paid the same as everyone else. But let's think about the laborers who started at 5 p.m. Imagine what they must have thought when they got a full day's pay for one hour's work. This boss is ridiculously generous. He's extravagantly generous. But because these early workers, these 6 a.m. crew, had a reward-based concept of God's generosity based on their accomplishments, they started to spiral down when they started to play the comparison game. And in the original text, it actually said that they had an evil eye, that they were giving the evil eye. And in their Middle Eastern culture context this, in this time, it meant to covet what somebody else had. And the coveting led to comparing, and the comparing led to complaining, and complaining, which led to them criticizing. 
You see, they missed the whole point of the owner's generosity. You see, during this lockdown, we've all been forced to slow down and be still. And it's in this forced slowing down that God has really shined a spotlight on some of my attitudes in my heart that he wants to deal with and to heal. And I've been in the season where it feels like it's been like one hard thing after another. And it can feel so unfair, especially when I start comparing my life to others. But here's what I know for sure. Comparison and resentment and feeling entitled robs us of our joy and clouds our judgment. You see, God wants to heal us where it hurts and set us free. You see, the generosity of God is irrational and illogical. The story doesn't make sense from a human perspective. And Jesus didn't tell the story for our entertainment. It's not just a, a nice Sunday school story about putting others before yourself. No, Jesus was intentional with the telling of this parable. He could have easily paid those 6 a.m. workers first <laughs> and left the latecomers um, till the last, and they would have been none the wiser. But he doesn't. He chooses instead to put his lavish, extravagant grace on display for all to see. You see, this parable can illuminate and expose our resistance to grace, either extending grace to others or a willingness to receive it. And the question is for all of us, are we resentful because God is generous to others who we think are undeserving? I mean, this parable outs all of us. I know it outs me. And we can see the world through the 12-hour laborer's eyes. We could. But Jesus is inviting us to see the world differently, to see people around us differently, to see our relationship with God differently. You see, the kingdom of God is characterized by lavish grace and extravagant generosity. And Jesus is trying to get Peter to understand that I'm going to give you what I give you, but I want you to be thankful and full of joy for, for what I do give you. And I don't want your joy to be diminished by what I give to others. Yes, you may toil in the heat like others do not, but I want you to be grateful for what it is I give you. Be grateful that you even get to work in the vineyard. And Jesus through this parable is asking me, and Jesus through this parable is asking you, can you handle that? Will you participate in that? Will you step into a system that is undeserving, where the undeserving get exactly what they don't deserve? Would you be willing to extend to others what they don't deserve because your heavenly Father has extended to you what you don't deserve? And I can just imagine all the prodigals in the house, <laughs> all the prodigals and all the prodigal daughters say yes and hallelujah. And all the prodigal husbands and wives and fathers and mothers um, who have made a mess of their lives and homes say yes. <laughs> and for those of us like you and me, who feel like the early starters, we relate to the 6 a.m. laborers. Jesus pulls out of the parable and says to everybody, when you begin to understand what my father's kingdom is like, and you begin to understand my value system and that I have, that I have come to introduce to the world, and you step into it and fully embrace it, it can feel like, it can feel like at times that the first will be last and the last will be first. It will feel unfair because of how we were raised to measure fair. We compare to determine what we think is fair, but grace doesn't compare. 
<laughs> grace doesn't compare. And I love how Andy Stanley says this. He says that grace in Jesus is always married to truth. And the truth is that we have all fallen short of God's standard. You see, in the kingdom of heaven, everybody is invited. The people who showed up at 6 a.m. and the people who showed up at 5 p.m. and everyone in between. And we all come through the same door in the same way by placing our personal faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, trusting that what he did on our behalf made us right with God. Grace and truth personified in the person of Jesus Christ. His grace and generosity towards us is extravagant, it's unexpected, it's illogical, it's, irrash it's irrational. And it's the reason that we are able to have a relationship with him. Hallelujah and amen. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you for grace that is so undeserving to someone like me. It's incredible. And so God, would you continue during this series, God, to um, correct wrong thinking about your grace. God, help us not to compare um, my life with others, my blessing with someone else's. Help us to be grateful that you've called us, that we are yours, that you are our God, because here's the thing, you are the prize, you are the reward. And thank you, God. Thank you, God. We love and we bless you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.